0: There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And Jesus said to them that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday when we gathered together for worship, we talked about how the Lord is Lord even at the end of the day. This morning we turn our attention to something a little bit bigger and more profound, how Jesus is Lord even at the end of our life. I remember sitting at one of my Tuesday morning Bible studies when I was first a pastor in Philadelphia, talking about preaching about the final judgment. Preaching about the end of the world and how difficult that is in a world where it seems like God just lets things go on their merry way. That things have been going as they have for 2,000 years and there doesn't seem to be a change in store. And so how does one convince people that there will ever become a time of judgment? A time when Jesus will come and hold people to account. And a very wise pastor who sort of our senior pastor in our group, looked at me and said, that day will come quicker than you think. And that day comes to everyone, because it comes at the moment of your death. In that moment, you will know God's judgment. Since then, I've broadened my horizons and come to see, especially as I have gotten older, how true that statement is. In fact, a Scottish band, the Proclaimers, sang about it when they said that the life that I've been living from the day I first drew breath has been my way of forgetting I'm on the journey to my death. You make my soul rise up and you make my eyes to see when I place my faith in you and I lose my belief in me. As Jesus approached the end of his earthly time of ministry, pre-resurrection, Jesus was entering into that age-old discussion about the end, not of the world or the day, but of our life. And what is it that happens in that moment when we shuffle off this mortal coil, as the old writer used to put it, or exit this veil of tears, as Luther puts it in his catechism? What happens after death? Now, it's good to be reminded that this was a live discussion even in Jesus' time. There was a lot of debate that went on even amongst the Jews, the people who had the inspired scriptures in their hands, as to what exactly happens after we die. And there wasn't unanimity on this question in the Jewish community, the wider group of people who were believers in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're introduced early in the Gospels to the Pharisees, who we come to think of as the bad guys, although when it comes to this question, they are actually the ones who are in the right. And as I've often said in Bible class, the reason why they seem to be the bad guys is that Jesus engages them so often because they get so many things right. The Pharisees believe in angels and demons. They believe in the spirits and our own spirit in our bodies. They believed in the whole Old Testament from Genesis through to Malachi, and they believed in a bodily resurrection. The Sadducees were the bad guys. They did not believe in angels or demons or spirits. They believed only in the books of Moses, specifically Exodus through Deuteronomy, in the law. They believed in the temple. They believed in the hierarchy, but they did not believe in a life after death, certainly not in a bodily resurrection, which is why the old joke says that's why they were so sad, you see. (laughs) Now, you don't have to take my word for this distinction because it's actually written and described in the New Testament near the end of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 23, Paul, who is in the middle of a trial, perceives that one part of the people there were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. So he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of Pharisees, and it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So how is it that the Jews, 2,000 years ago, were divided on this question? How is it that they did not have unanimity on what exactly happens when we die? Part of the reason for that is that the Old Testament is not entirely clear. There are hints of resurrection, however, as the Spirit unfolds God's message through the prophets. So, for example, in Ecclesiastes, the most depressing book of the Old Testament, it seems pretty clear that death is the end, and that's all there is. The preacher says, he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. No doubt the Sadducees loved Ecclesiastes. But then the oldest book of the Old Testament, Job, tells a really different story. And many of you know these words from a great many Christian services of burial. Oh, that my words were written, Job cries out, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For, as we sing in the old Easter hymn, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Now, while the Sadducees were limited in what books of the Old Testament they read, the Pharisees were not. Which is probably why they had a much firmer grasp of the resurrection than the Sadducees did. Because if we go on and read Isaiah and Daniel, we get these words from our God. Your dead shall live, Isaiah records in chapter 26, verse 19. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And then in Daniel chapter 12, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Note the hope. If you were a Jew who believed firmly in the promises of God regarding life after death, your hope was in a resurrection of your body. That your body would rise and that you would live with God if you had placed your trust in Him. While those who have trusted only in themselves will find only themselves available for comfort. What do I mean by that? What I mean is when it comes to life and the end of life and life after the end of life, the opposite of having trust in Christ and finding comfort in him is having trust only in yourself and finding comfort only in yourself. These are the two alternatives. And they will shape what you think happens at the end of your life. They will shape where you put your trust and faith in what happens at the end of your life. Now let's go back to these Sadducees and Pharisees. The Sadducees are rooted firmly and only in the here and now. What happens in this world? Because what happens after death is nothing. They have comfort in the future only in themselves, and the only thing they can think about is now this life, and what happens here in this world. So when this group of Sadducees comes to Jesus, and they want to ask about this belief in the resurrection, what do they draw on? A story about men and women and marriage. And kind of a depressing story. I can't imagine this poor woman dragged brother to brother to brother all the way through her life, Seven different men. What is going on here? Now, we can hardly imagine this kind of a situation because for us, marriage is all about love. It's all about finding somebody that you are attracted to or that's going to be your soulmate for the rest of your life. But for centuries, marriage was all about survival. Marriage was about knowing that you had a welfare plan for what's going to happen at the end of your life. The man worked and provided for the woman and the children. And if there was no man, there was no income, and there was no survival. We hear that account over and over again in the Gospels. And survival for both man and woman came from having kids. They were the Quebec pension plan of the past. They were old age security. You had to have kids because the kids were going to provide for you when you couldn't go and labor in the field anymore. When you couldn't make the tools anymore. When you couldn't be a carpenter anymore. The Sadducees are obsessed with life in this world. And so all they can think of as a frame of reference is the Levitical code for how to handle marriages, how to handle welfare and family survival. How to handle things in this life. Who's going to be dependent on who? Who's going to look after the kids and the wife? Well, the Pharisees have a different answer to that question. Jesus very much has a different answer, and the answer is, how about dependence on God? How about dependence on the one who's given you life in the first place? The one who has given you a wife or a husband, land, children, house and home, all of these good gifts. And so Jesus takes this whole craziness about a woman who's had seven husbands and no kids, et cetera, et cetera, and says, let's stop thinking about that and think about the bigger picture and about the God who has given us life in the first place. Jesus says to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Which does not mean there's no love anymore or no compassion or friendship, but what it means is that there's no more need for old age security, Quebec pension plan, welfare, who's going to look after who, because God will look after every single need of all people, men and women equally the only dependence we will need to have and that will matter in the life of the world to come is dependence on God. Where our dependence should have been and our comfort should have been in this life, but where it's gotten so twisted by all sorts of different preoccupations and obligations. The resurrection puts us past the end of our days, past the end of our life, into something brand new. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed. In the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. He was not the God of Abraham. He is the God of Abraham. He remains the one who has given them life. Because God is about life. Not what passes for life in this sinful veil of tears, but the kind of life he created in the beginning in the garden. World of peace, joy, compassion. A life free from sin and petty preoccupations. A life that is solely, completely, 100%, and only dependent on God. So, what happens after we die? Not what our culture says. Our culture which has too often infiltrated even the Christian church. Our culture has two ideas outside these walls of what happens after you die. The first is what I call Oprahism. Still a prevailing view. I even hear Christians tell other Christians this sort of thing at Christian funeral services. Well, Grandma's looking out for us now. She's up there somewhere, maybe somewhere between the orbit of the moon and Mars, keeping a watchful eye over all things. There's another angel that received their wings, that somehow when people die, they become angels and are watching out over all things on the planet. Of course, the other view predominant in Quebec is that nothing happens after you die. Death is death is death, and that's the end. But what Christ, the Lord of the living, has demonstrated, preached beforehand through the prophets, preached in his own Easter event, preached through each and every one of his apostles and evangelists who spread the news, is that what happens after death is a new world yet to come and our resurrection into it. You've been saying the words, All of your life in the Christian church, maybe you just didn't realize that you've been reciting this faith. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We say it every Sunday in the Nicene Creed. If you remember studying the small catechism's explanation of the third article, then you have recited, on the last day, He will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. You've sung it at Easter. Jesus, my Redeemer lives, I too unto life shall waken. Endless joy my Savior gives, shall my courage then be shaken? Shall I fear or could the head rise and leave his members dead? Or in a hymn that when I was a little bit younger, I kind of didn't like maybe because we overdid it at the church where I served in Texas, but have come now to appreciate more and more, Lord, thee I love with all my heart, where in the last stanza we sing, Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home that I may die unfearing, and in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep, until thy reappearing, and then from death awaken me, that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. That was the last discussion that Jesus had with the Sadducees, according to Luke. And it wasn't about anything petty or insignificant. It was about the most and biggest issue of all. What is this life all about and what happens when we die? Jesus' answer is clear and profound, that the God who is life of our life here will be the one to grant us eternal life in a resurrected and restored world in the life of the world to come. All the dead will be raised. Those who have been found in Christ will remain with Christ. Those who shunned Christ in this life will live in eternity without Christ in the life of the world to come. It's that simple. And so we pray as we did last week and as we will again next week. Abide with us, Lord, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us the night of fear and despair, the night when death draws near. Abide with us and with all the faithful, now and forever. Amen. Amen.